0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Apron Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom this is a special tshuva supleiskim, harrochah v'hesbid of someone who was extremely important uh, in Eretz Yisrael and for Qal Yisrael. Ruchayim Meir drokman Tzeyech HaTzadok was Nifter on base Tevis uh, a little bit over ten days ago? Um, when I heard about his petira, uh, I immediately knew that our platform should provide uh, some sort of uh, understanding of uh, the sherkoma and the significance of Rav Drukman. And I turned to my friends in Eretz Yisrael, connected me to. Uh, a person that I hope I will, from this point on, be able to be connected to even in a stronger way. Um, Rav David Ben Meir, uh, who is a, uh, was a Talmud of Rav Bukhman, uh is a Ram, the yeshiva for great Zavah called Beit David. Uh, he, he has been a uh, Ben Eretz Israel for many, many years, um, coming from the United States, coming from Chicago, a place that I spent many years myself. Uh, Rab David immediately agreed uh, to give hesped uh, Arocha for his for Rav Druckman, uh, and i very much makir tov uh, for making time for. Uh, I
1: convey to you uh, some of where, of where I'm coming from. I've been, I've had a lot of time to think of this ever since. Uh, and I've come to the conclusion that you know I have. So you have, let's say you have a rabbanim. You have the people that taught you different things. I have a Rav who taught me how to learn Gemara, and I have a Rav who taught me Moser. And then you have a certain rabbanim who are closer to you, let's say a rab Muvhak. And then possibly, if you're lucky, then you have a rab Muvhak or a rabbanim who are like your spiritual fathers, who actually gave birth to the personality that you are, the spiritual personality that you are. Was like a, was like a spiritual father to me, one of my two spiritual fathers who brought me uh, to the yeshiva where I where I learned of Tzviuda Hakohen Cook, is tzaddik and who uh, brought me to a uh, really clear understanding. I, when I first met Reb Chaim Druchman forty eight years ago when I was fifteen years old, and a member of uh, the Ne'akiva Youth Group in North America. And we had a they had a program a month long program in a camp in Pennsylvania for uh, for kids between their junior and senior year. It was a month long study program, learning Torah, learning Torah. And it was the first time that I had ever met not a Rav or a Tamit chacham from Eretz Yisrael, but what I would say. A tamid Chacham Eretz Yisraeli Tamid Chacham who was the epitome for me of what it means to be a Tamid Chacham in Eretz Yisrael up until that time, up until that summer I had on the one hand learned in Yeshiva so learning was very important to, to me and I was, I guess, you know orthodox, somewhere between modern orthodox and ultra, whatever you, you would call it not exactly Charedi but not exactly not Charedi uh, and very Zionist also but there was no connection between the two. I was Zionist for regular, secular Zionist reasons that you know we should be independent in our own homeland, which I know is a, you know, probably a big thing. But there was no connection. There was no Torah connection. There was no spiritual connection between my Jewish nationalism and the Torah. And what combined them, or what showed me that Tzionut, or the yearning to return, to in our times and to rebuild the state to rebuild our nation is actually a mitzvah it's actually, it's actually anchored in Torah so Chaim Drukman was the one that put these two together he gave us a class every day for part of the day by the way he spoke only in Hebrew he taught us in Hebrew and he taught us some very basic classes or basic ideas about Geulat Yisrael, about the redemption of Am Yisrael, how is the Gula supposed to come? Until then, all of my until then all of my uh, ideas of the Mashiach and Geulah, how is the redemption supposed to come? How is supposed to return home? All these ideas were very foggy, very un- undeveloped. And I remember him starting by reading something from a from a book, a sefer called Rishat Zion, written by Otsri Oshkalishev. Who was a Talmid of Rabbi Kiva Egel, and he wrote this, oh, something like 160 years ago, that you shouldn't think that we're gonna, you're gonna sit in your house, you know, tucked away, and all is fine, and suddenly you're gonna, hear a chauffeur blow, chauffeur blast, and they're going you're gonna hear a voice saying to you, "Come back to Eretz Yisrael, the Messiah has come." No, it's not gonna work like that. You have to make the effort, get up by yourselves, move to Eretz Yisrael to start to to work the land so that was one of the the things that the thing that he did or Kaim Doohan taught us and he taught generations of of students and he actually and finally after he was after he was convinced to to print his shiurim to print his his classes to print his shiurim because for decades he thought i teach and i guess he would have he wanted to be known as a mechaneh, as an educator, someone who taught. But he didn't think that he had to, to print these books. So finally, people were convinced that, look, you know, for the generations to come, you have to uh, publish these, these shirurim. So finally, finally, he agreed, and they started to uh, to publish his shirurim from recordings. And that's how we have, like, you know, close to 30 sfarim that have been published, that have been printed of his shirurim. So the classes that I heard as a 15-year-old in Pennsylvania in the summer of 1974, I can actually uh, read today through a sefer. The first thing he taught us was that the guula is a process of redemption. It's a process, not something that's going to happen within a year. Everything like in in the Yitzhak Mitzrayim, it's not like that. It's not like leaving Egypt. And you don't have to necessarily look for the outstanding miracles but it can be more like Hanukkah where most of the process is within the confines of nature and he didn't say it as an opinion he saw, He brought it as a chazal in the Yerushalmi in two different places and in the Midrashim and in the Zohar and it's mentioned by other Rishonim uh, who quote all of these uh, sources that the Gula will come as a gradual Natural process that we have to take part in by ourselves. Um, another, the next principle was that okay, you're expecting that Mashiach will come when everyone is the uh, tzaddik, everyone's choser b'tshuva, and everyone is putting on Tfilin. If not tefillin, will at least tefillin Rashi. And everyone is davening, everyone is shomer Shabbos. But that's not what Chazal say. The majority opinion in Chazal is that uh, the Geulah, at least the beginning of the Gerula, the beginning of the gula is not dependent on Shuvah. And he brought us the Gemara in, the, in Sanhedrin and the Mitrashim that talk about this also, and a list of Rishonim, of sources in the Rishonim who say the same thing. So what it is that we have to do, the Shuvah that we have to do, is to return to Eretz Yisrael to settle the land. So he taught us also the, the halachic standpoint of the Mitzvah of Yishuv Eretz Yisrael that the Ramban uh, writes before before in his additions uh, to the the Sefer of the Rambam, the Rambam says it's a mitzvah to conquer the land to rule the land which means a state with an army holding the land being sovereign in the land and from that from that stems the mitzvah of an individual living in Eretz Yisrael even during the time of the Galut. And even though the Rambam doesn't mention it as, doesn't count it as a mitzvah, but if you, if you know the Rambam, um, if you know Shulchan Aruch and all the four uh, halakim of Shulchan Aruch, you can see their halakhot that stem from the mitzvah of Yeshuv Yetz Yisrael. So he taught to us about that. He taught to us, you know, the way that we daven, the way that we daven is the ninth bracha is uh, B'kata Shanim, when you're asking for rain which is basically rain, rain in Eretz Yisrael. And it could be that in the United States, maybe some places, they need rain during the summer. But if it's not during the time that Eretz Yisrael needs rain, then you're not allowed to, to say, You can only say, uh, in Shema Yisrael, you can say in Shema Kolenu, you can say as yes, we, in our particular place, in the, 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 uh, the examples that are brought either in the Gemara or on the post Ninveh can ask for for geshem for, for rain, or Sfarad can ask for geshem, but only Shema Kolad because the bracha of Hashanim—that's what Rav taught us—is only about rain in Eretz Yisrael, agriculture in Eretz Yisrael. That's the bracha, and then the bracha after that is Kibbutz Galil, because the Gemara says in Sanhedrin, Rabbi Abba, Rabbi says there is no more clear sign that the Gula is coming. And the fact that Eretz Yisrael once again becomes fruitful after a long galut, where the where the land is desolate, since the we don't since we know that the gula isn't dependent on shuvah, when people suddenly all everyone becomes religious, no the gula can start before that. So how do I, how do I know it started? How do I know that it's real? The fact that the uh, Jews return to the land, the land starts to become fruitful. in <inaudible> In the language of the Moran in and and the Kibbutz galiyot which we are going through—the rebirth of the language of Hebrew as a spoken language—I um, don't mean to, you know, I don't mean to embarrass anyone or to—I uh, don't mean in anything that I'm saying uh, express criticism. I'm just saying, you know, putting it there as it is, that it's a—it's a weird situation that people don't know Hebrew. I remember. Rabbi Chaim taught us, Rabbi Chaim Zatzal taught us only in Hebrew, the members of Ibn Akiva. And in the winter, the winter of my senior year in high school, he came to uh, to the States. and He visited different communities. I didn't understand exactly why he was there. I just was happy to meet him. And I remember that uh, we went, uh, you know, some guys from Ibn Akiva went and, and uh, in, drove out to O'Hare Airport. In order to uh, and he said in order to uh, to receive him as he as he landed as he landed in in the airport, and as we got into the airport, so uh we noticed that the, the his plane had already landed, so I started running I didn't wait for anyone I started running you know here is a long it's a long run, so I got like to the end almost the end of a building, and by the time I got there, the lobby was empty, like the last people coming off of the plane. And he came off the plane. I want to point out when he taught us, he he had he, he wore pants and shirt, socks, and sandals, and a, he always has tzitzit outside, but they were wrapped around his belt, and that's how I knew him—a large, large kippah. So well, the people are getting off the plane, the last person off the plane is wearing a Hamburg hat, and he's wearing a frock, a long coat. And and I think, okay, so that's not Rukhain. But I look closely at his face, and then I see that it's him. So I smiled. I guess I must I must have been almost laughing, because he uh, he stopped for a, for a moment, he put down his suitcases and he gave me this really big hug, big bear hug, as he was used to doing. And then he says to me, I know, I know, it's it's funny that you have to dress up. But this is what people in the States expect me to look like. You know, when you're outside of Eretz Yisrael, the Gemara says in, the, in, in Shabbos, that tamid hachamim outside of Eretz Yisrael, you know, in Babel, they dress specially. The Eretz Yisrael, can dress normal, but okay. But the funnier thing was that he came to, to speak in Chicago. So when he talked to us, the chanichim of Bnei Akiva, he spoke only in Hebrew. But, but Leil Shabbat. Right, it was, it was winter, so he spoke like eight o'clock in the evening, and in the in a uh, in a big auditorium in the shul, and I was sitting right in front of him because that's what I used to always do in the seminar. I wanted to sit with no one, no one sitting between us, so I could see him clearly. And he could see me. So he started, so he started in Paral Torah in English, and again, I was just, I was smiling, and was, it was it was so weird. So he stopped for a moment and he said to me quietly in Hebrew, Right? right. He stopped and he says, You know, I know it's, it's funny to say the Torah to say Torah in, in English, but uh, what can I do? They don't, not all them understand, so I have to speak. By the way. When Abjul came to Chicago in my senior year, and I told the people in charge of Nikita, look, I have to talk to the Rab. I have to talk to him. And uh, you know, I have to, I, I have to I need his advice. I need five minutes. And the people in charge of his of his schedule said, look, you know, everyone wants to talk to him. He doesn't have the time. But I, I insisted. And finally, there was time, really, really late at night. I want to tell you something about Rukhaim Jukman. I remember I was, I was, I had the khut of being a Ram, of teaching in his yeshivat Boa Ezra for 10 years. I was used to this. That shiurim, he would give shiurim until about 12.30 at night. 12.30 at night, he didn't go to sleep. Oh no. 12.30 at night is office work. He would call back every person that called him right? If he would, someone called in the middle of a cheer to get a for four hours straight, like from 830 to 1230, he would call back every person. And he had all these things that he had to do. And people would want to meet with him so that he would tell people, okay, I have time at one o'clock. And someone would look at their watch and they say, but it's already three o'clock. So no, 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 I mean, one o'clock tonight. Or can you call me at two o'clock tonight? And you would call at two o'clock and he says, no, I, I'm still in the middle of something here. There's someone here that came to meet to see me can you call me back at 3 o'clock? And by 5, five o'clock in the morning, he already had his first chavruta in the morning. So he would sleep like two hours or whenever someone was driving him from place to place. His wife made sure, the Rabbanit made sure that he never had a license. Because she was sure that if he had a license, he would fall asleep at the, at the wheel. So he's always, there's always, the yeshiva always paid for someone to be a driver. And that's when he could catch up and sleep. So either, you know, he, he used the time in, in, in when being drive, driven from place to place in, to learn, either to learn or to uh, to call people, call back people, or to sleep. And where would he go? Where would, where would he have to drive? Everywhere. I mean, every student and every chanich of his, and you have to realize that he was both a madrich and uh, a madrich of Bnei akiba. And an educator and a rami nishiva and a rabbi of yeshuv, and the rabbi of many people and for over for over seventy years, right? And he must have been uh, there. Must have been evenings when he was officiating at you uh, know the kiddushin for two three weddings. Uh, for us, he came to uh, he was in inside, of, I came inside the kiddushin. Me, and my wife, and I, and one of my children when she was already eighty, 80 years old. And he came to almost every wedding to the point that I stopped inviting him because I thought when he was 80 years old, you know, I couldn't continue bothering him. But he went to every Simcha and the He came both times. I sat shiva once for my mother, once for my father. He would come, he would go everywhere. And he was also a member of Knesset, right? He was a member of Knesset. And so he had this time that he was being driven to different places. By the way, when it's a Knesset, uh, in between when he had to speak, he used to sit, especially with Misilat Yisharim. Mm-hmm. Why with Misilat Yisharim? One of my rabbanim, another of the, my other spiritual father, once he used to learn Chavruta once a week, and uh, so my other rab from Israel asked Rav Chaim "Why do you learn Misilat Yisharim when you're there? When you're there, you have to work in public affairs, right?" So Abraham says, if I don't learn Mesilat Yesharim when I'm there, I can't be there. You can't survive spiritually and morally. I have to learn Mesilat Yesharim, otherwise I don't have an anchor. I won't be able to do this public work. So I remember once when I was around in the yeshiva of Jokim's yeshiva, so he called You know, the telephone rings at 1230 at night. I always left the telephone. I got a telephone next to my bed. For different reasons. Okay, so I had a telephone. So the telephone rings. I answer, and he had a very distinctive, hoarse voice. So you immediately you could understand. And of course, he would say, uh, "You know, Khan Chaim Druckman." But with me, he didn't have to. He didn't. He never said who it was. I always heard. David I mean, says, "Yes, yeah, can You know, did I wake you up?" So no, 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 no. You didn't wake me up. Of course, I go to sleep at ten thirty. 1230 for him is, a, is like, you know, the middle of the evening, but he didn't wake me up, of course, you know, like you always think to yourself, no, you, I'm not lying to him, it's, it's the, uh, the ring of the phone that woke me up, it's not him. They had to send me out, he said, no, tomorrow morning I need you to go out early in the morning to the uh, courthouse in Tel Aviv to, uh, to sign off on three yeshiva students that have been accused of throwing stones at Arabs. And I've arranged for them to be in house arrest, so to speak, in the yeshiva. And you're the one that has to guarantee them. So it's like 1230, he would start doing things. So also when I was in Chicago, I got to meet him like 1030, 1130, 12 o'clock. And I asked him, which I, I, I had to hear his advice, where, where should I go to yeshiva? I had two places that I was, wasn't clear about. And he said, and one of them was Merkaz Arav, And he said, well, yeah, go for your first year in Israel, then I asked him, you know, I want to make Aliyah, but I, I I don't think my parents are going to agree. Should I tell them that I'm going? I'm not coming back. It's going to cause arguments, and so he said to me, "You want to? Uh, why would you want to hurt your parents by arguing? Don't tell them." Okay, so I didn't tell them. And they they finally figured it out, and I'm not going back to the States after my first year in Israel I was okay, anyway, so all this I remembered because one of the things that is miraculous, but it's natural is the fact that we have um, we've been able to uh, rejuvenate our are a uh, language and people can speak uh, well, maybe it's an issayo but something succeeds an entire process succeeds for 100 years, right? Every year that passes there are more Jews living in the Eretz Yisrael there are more houses, there are more fields, There's, the agriculture is is even better and the, the uh, I don't know how the economic situation is, particularly in the United States, but in Israel I mean, we always, everyone has something to eat we're doing pretty <laughs> well and Israel is always in the top 10 of the happiness uh, survey of the world, countries in the world. So there's a lot of So you see that this is like a a process that's going on, and he taught us that the reason that in Chanukah there was this ness, this miracle of the of the uh, of the of the menorah, shemen of the menorah burning for eight days, was which was a really near, was, was really wasn't important because every day there were Nisim in the that just because you could light candles for eight days instead of one day, that's not a reason for, for you to have to be kovea, a chag, for, for generations. The reason there's a chag of Hanukkah was because of the success that the Kadosh Baruch Hu gave to the Maccabees, to the Hashmonaim, in fighting for initially spiritual independence and eventually receiving, as the Rambam says, in, Hilchus, in Hilchot Hanukkah, eventually... Uh, Achieving also malchut, sovereign, sovereignty over the land of Israel. But the, the reason, this is what B'Ruchman taught us, the reason that also did for us this miracle with the oil was that we should know the next time it happens that in a natural process we succeed in achieving independence, we should know already, okay, this isn't something that's, that's only human. And something that Kadosh is giving us the strength to do. So it's something that's miraculous. Nisim shebuchol yom iman. yom iman. The nisim, the miracles that are within the framework of, of nature. But now, there's a, there's a big question. Because when you look at the state of Israel, there are a lot of problems. You, you, you can't ignore them. There are a lot of problems. And not everyone, of course, you know, on the individual level, not everyone is is religious. But more important on the national level, not all the laws, not all of the, uh, the education, is based on the is based on Torah, right? So the question is, what happens? How do you rec- how do you relate to something that is both has positive aspects to it, but also negative aspects to it? So this is something Rabbi Jukman taught us, and. All these teachings, afterwards, I understood he had learned from his Rebbe, from Apsil in Kukzatzah, who I also had the school to never say that I learned by, because I never know if I actually learned something. But I, I sat by him every day for about two and a half years, and then afterwards, about once a week, to, to go continue going to Shi'urim. So the Yerushami makes this really weird statement. And Shami says, Gadol Kiddush Hashem L'Shem. Gadol Kiddush Hashem L'Shem. So it seems to say, and everything I'm saying to you is what I've learned from, from Rabchaim Chaim. Zatza. And afterwards, I also heard many, many times from Rav And he was like the person who had the talent to take these ideas and to teach them to anyone. Okay. Even to teenagers in the United States who are more interested in possibly in other things, but they're also interested in this, he was able to teach it in such a clear way. I made mean, so clear right? So clear that we can understand. So he says, what, what does it mean, Gadol Kidush Hashem, Hashem, Well, obviously, a Kiddush Hashem is a better thing than a Kiddush Hashem, right? It's not... Everyone knows that it's better to have children than to have poison. You know, you don't, I don't need the Yoshami to tell me that. But the thing is like this. Sometimes the Mem in Hebrew means one is more than the other. And sometimes it means one is from the other. It's not only Gadol Kiddush Hashem, not that Kiddush Hashem is better than Kiddush Hashem, but Gadol Kiddush Hashem, even if it comes mitoch Hashem. Because you're looking at the State of Israel, and you're thinking, well, not everything, obviously not everything is according to the Torah. That's obvious. right? But there's also a Kiddush hashem. Because, and this is another thing that Rabbi Druchman taught us and taught thousands of people over decades, tens of thousands of people over decades, that the Galut by, its, by itself, the navi Chizkel eh, prophesies and says that the Galut is a Chilu hashem the mere fact that Ami Yisrael is not in its land, is not sovereign, is subject to other people, is scattered throughout the world, to the point that it forgets that it's a nation and starts to think that it's a religion. That in itself is a It's a, it's maatut. It's a lessening of the Okay. Whereas the, uh, the Geula is the Kiddush Hashem. And then he would, or Chaim would, would be quote to us from Chazal that the reason the Torah is given to us is for Kiddush Hashem. To reveal more and more the divine intent in the world. That's what we're here for. Kiddush Hashem is what we're here for. What happens when you have Kiddush Hashem and Kidu Hashem intertwined? Should I be for it or should I be against it? Well, first thing Yerushalmi says, if you have Kiddush Hashem and Kiddush Hashem, the same thing, like you have the, in the State of Israel, then you should know that Kiddush Hashem is more important, has more weight to it. But you should know also that Kiddush Hashem that comes from this mesubach, from this complex uh, situation where you have a lot of chesfonot, uh, a lot of difficulties, you should know that the Kiddush Hashem that comes from this is even greater. The the light that comes from the country, is a greater light. And that's what he taught us also. <speaking in Hebrew> David is saying, no, don't be don't be happy that I fell. I got up. And when I sit in the darkness, Hashem is my light. So Chazal Saib, David Amelech, is saying, lule uh, that altis micho, nafalti, kamti. Lule, nafalti lo kamti. If I didn't if I hadn't fallen fallen, then I wouldn't have gotten up. So Abjuchman says to us, Well, obviously, if you wouldn't have fallen, you wouldn't have gotten, you wouldn't have needed to get up. You're already standing up. No. It's the thing is that if I hadn't fallen, I wouldn't have reached the higher level that I've reached now. Right? It's like the Gemara in Barakama. says that in the first Luchot, the Aserta Dibro that, that, that show up in Parchat Itro it doesn't say Tov. It says Leman Yamin doesn't say Tov. In the second Luchot, which are the Aserta dibrot in Parchat Vayet there it says yitav lecha Yamin. It says Tov. If the first Lukot hadn't been broken, if we hadn't been broken, and then repaired ourselves through tshuva, and through the messiut nefesh of Moshe Rabbeinu, then we wouldn't have reached the level of the second Lukot, we wouldn't have tov. We would have thought that tov is something that can be broken, and wouldn't realize that in order to get to tov, sometimes you have to go through crisis in order to get to that. So, is the state of Israel a potential for a Messianic area? It's a lot more than that. We're, we've, already, you know, we've already been in Yemot Mashiach for over 100 years, maybe 200 years since the Talmudim of the Baal shem Tov came, since the, the Menachem Hasidim came more than 200 years ago. We've been in a process. And think to yourselves that from Yetzirah Mitzrayim, until we have David HaMelech, we have a kingdom. Until we have Nevi'im, until we have Beit until we have a permanent capital in Yerushalayim. Until the Islamo builds the Beit HaMikdash, it's up 480 years. So we're only uh, we're less than, we're only slightly more than 200 years since the Aliyah, uh, amide Agra. So we're doing um, you have to take that into proportion also, right? Of Juchman, often it, in his later years, he would say that when he was a teenager, the feeling was the feeling that secular people were broadcasting to us, and the feeling that many religious kids it also had was we're the last generation that are going to put on feeling to know how to say Shema Yisrael. Because many kids would finish their religious high school and lose their kippah. It's just kind of mixed in with the, uh, the secular community who were the majority. But there were tens of thousands of people who felt themselves directly connected to Ob Khaim at, at, uh, at his funeral. And there are 70 yeshivot and ulpanot that were under, under his auspices. And there are you know, just you know, seven, they have over 20,000 students at any given moment. So Baruch Hashem, uh, not at all, was his generation, the last generation. I recently read someone that wrote, I heard that Ochaim Drukman, who was the elder, elderly rabbi of the religious Zionism, he passed away with 200 descendants, okay? 80 grandchildren, 120 great-grandchildren. And the person who wrote that says, Well, my grandmother, when she passed away, she had four descendants. The, uh, someone, a uh, secular uh, writer, wrote this. So it's thanks to people like Chaim Zuckerman, the the situation is that they weren't the, rest, the last generation to put on tefillin to know how to say Shema Yisrael. Quite the opposite. I want to point out um, that Chaim uh, was an anab. He had great humility. And great humility. He would, always, he would always refer to himself as Chaim Druckmann. And he was willing to, uh, to do anything for anyone that was in his power. So he was connected to B'nai Akiva, to a youth group, for over 70 years. Which means that a counselor, a, a junior in high school, could call him and ask to talk to him about a critical problem that he had with his kids in his youth group, and Rab Chaim would talk to him, as if he had nothing else in the world to do. Or it could be the prime minister on the phone that wanted to talk to Rabhaim Chaim Drukman, or Benjamin Netanyahu who actually sent the uh, the head of security to talk to Rabhaim Chaim in order to explain to him a certain issue that he should then uh, advise the religious Zionist party to to support a particular uh, policy and a particular issue. So abraham could talk to a to a freshman in high school, in Yeshiva high school, or he could talk to uh, to the prime minister. I you know, study in America Zarab more or less a uh, like, uh, twelve and a half years and a year and a half uh, I was a Ram in Avrech in Kwanim. Then I went down to be Kola for five years in Eilat and then from there I had this hood to be a, a Ram in Shivat in the history of Shiva for 10 years. Um, and when I came, there was another person who was also a, a new Ram who came who came from Toronto, and his name was Abishai David, David, Abishai David, who is today a um Rosh Shiva of American students coming to Israel. Yeshiva called But for his first two years in Israel, after he made Aliyah, so he taught also in the Oretzion. He tells this story, that he had a relative who was haridi and was saying to his, to his relative, oh, David, that it's not a good idea for him to be a, a Rebbe in the Yeshiva of Opaim because it wasn't haridi and Rabbi David agreed to go with his relative to Rabbi Shlomo Zalman to decide the issue. So the relative says to Rabbi Shlomo Zalman they had other issues also, but I'm just going to talk, to talk about this. Rabbi Shlomo Zalman is asked by the relative how can my relative here go teach in Yeshiva, of Chaim Drukman his Ashkofis aren't our Ashkofis. So Shlomo Zalman says to you, says to the guy, you have a, monop- a monopoly on Ashkofis? You have a monopoly on Ashkofis? There are a lot of Ashkofis. they are different Ashkofis. So the uh, the Haredi relative doesn't give up. He says, well, what, is, what, is the, what does the rap say? He's asking Shlomo Zalman what he thinks personally. Shlomo Zalman says, what does it matter what I think? There are many Ashkofis. And then he says to me, you know Chaimkei Drukman? He would call him, Chaimke was his nickname when he was a youngster. And there were people that called him Chaimke when he was already 30 years old. And we met, I met him when he was 41. And we called him either Rab Chaim or Rab Chaimke. So Rab Shalman Zaman says to this person, do you know Chaimkei Drukman? He says it with all the uh, chiba, you know, with love. I know Chaimkei Drukman almost 50 years. He's a... The Ben Bait in my house. He's, you know, he's here all the time. I want to tell you, Abhaim Drukma is a chefza of Mesirut Nefesh for Cloud Yisrael. And that's very true. Ob was Drukma was a mamish, full of Mesirut Nefesh for, for Torah, Torah Yisrael, for Eretz Yisrael, for Yit He was one of the uh, People that established Lushimunim, helping to establish the Shuvim, Yudav Shomron, both as the as a Rosh Yishevah, as a Tanit Chochem, as a Tanit Laver of Yisuda, also as a member of Knesset, he helped a lot. He had Mitzios Nefesh, and Klal Yisrael Mitzios Nefesh for every individual and in Israel. Ma'amash Chesed lelogvu, Chesed no limits, no boundaries. He was always there for a person, and if you he, he couldn't catch him, he'll get back to you. And he was, he would always say to Talmudim, you know, the person, the purpose of life, is not to eat. Donkeys eat also. And horses also drink. You we are here in order to do good. And tov, good, is Torah. And everything stems from the Torah. How...
0: You said that um <clears throat> knew uh Chaimke, Rab Chaimke for fifty years. what was was there a Rebbe connection there or what exactly was the connection between them?
1: Ah well first of all you have to always remember that in those days there were a lot less people in there lot less people in the uh, His family, his parents were able to uh, have him smuggled out, taken out. From the middle of the Holocaust, from Poland to Romania, they crossed the border and, uh, and he was brought on a um, on a boat over to Eretz Yisrael, and uh, so he, he, he came here when he was 12 years old, and he more or less uh, in his first years he, he grew up in uh, Rachabia, which is close to Shari Chesed of Shalom lived. so he would Chaim, uh, used to visit a lot. He, he used to always tell us that he had, he was given this bracha. that he had avas Torah. He always had avas Torah. So he was. That's how he knew Abshalom Zalman. Abshalom Zalman also was a was someone who considered the, of Kuk, the father of Abba Meishek, the Now he's a gadol is Torah, a gadol d'orot. Again, someone someone that comes along every once in a few generations. Right. So uh, ever since they had a connection for for over 50 years.
0: Did, did he have a connection with Rav Harlap as well?
1: Yes. Because he was in Merkaz When he came to Merkaz Rav Harlap was in Rosh Hashiva. Uh-huh. Rav Chaim had a connection with Rav Harlap, but if you ask, I think he would say his, his, his main rabbi was of Tzvi Yudha, but he also uh, learned a lot from the Araba Nazir Rav David Cohen who was also in Merkaz of course he learned uh, much from uh, Ramos who, uh, who established yeshiva in which then was a revolutionary idea of establishing a yeshiva there weren't too many yeshiva uh, especially not in the new yeshuvim or more modern uh, people Rav also was there Rav Chaim by the way was, uh, uh, was one of the people that established Karim Biaf oh, yeah i didn't know that i didn't know that he also went to slabotka and Gnebra to to get the, to get convince the russia against gold the roshishiva so uh Obhain was very instrumental in sending uh, people really? that had gone through Bnei kivats to to be the initial gab initial group to start to Kir I, I
0: was wondering uh, you know the fourth about uh Godel, uh, uh, got me thinking a little bit that in many ways, uh, someone from Galut, like yourself, uh, bring an enthusiasm from since where they had been with an excitement that sometimes even the B'nai Eretz Yisrael don't have. You know, if you're born into it uh, and it's, it's what you you're used to from day one, you don't necessarily have that same excitement and fire. Um, do you notice that, that that does that ring true? That sometimes the, the olim who are far uh are even more, um, in a way, excited and, and, and act more uh, activist towards uh, being able to complete this vision than
1: others? That, some that they have the great schut of being born in purity. And I'm sure that is the. Uh, has a great uh, positive influence on their on them just by being here so it's a great uh to be here then they say but you had the choose to move here that true yeah like yeah that's true that I had the uh, the opportunity and I always say not always but sometimes I tell them you know I had the opportunity because of Hitler. I was born in Chicago. My father was in Arshara in Romania, planning on moving to the land of uh, the. Moving to Israel, of course. And then World War II broke out, and he went through uh, what he went through during the Holocaust. But if it wasn't for that, then I would have been born in Eretz Israel like you. So the idea is that, of Cook writes, and this is brought in uh, the Orot, uh, Yisrael, Orot Israel, Sefer Orot, that uh, it is, well, the general idea is that you know that just like a person, the person has to eat every day. You can't say to your body, well, look, you know, I fed you for 50 years. That should be enough. You don't have to eat anymore. No, you have to eat every day. Same thing, especially, you need the spiritual nourishment every day. And the connection between the individual and the klal in, in klal soil isn't built and the material needs—it's built on spirituality, and the fact they're all part of the same neshama. So, so whether you were born here or you chose to move here, you always have to nourish your connection, your spiritual connection to Am Yisrael, because it's based on spirituality and morality, and those are things that need strengthening. Those are things that need chizuk all the time. Um, Anyone that compare, if you can compare different things, you have a sense of proportion, then you can be happy with what you can see the ayin tovah, what's going on, or drukman, I want to say, I want to point out, when I asked him, like, I want to go to either this yeshiva or that yeshiva, I don't want to mention which. The Merkazarav was one yeshiva and the other was another yeshiva. I didn't know the difference between the two yeshivas. They are both the religious Zionists. And he didn't tell me the difference. He didn't say, don't go to the other one. And he never said, I never hear, almost never heard him say a a derogatory word about something else. He would always say, it's better to point out something positive. So I don't I don't think that I uh, the people that came from Khulsars necessarily have more of a Of an enthusiasm, but they have an appreciation of what it is. I mean, hopefully, they have appreciation of what it is.
0: Are are people who weren't born in Eretz Israel. Um, And because there is something about, you know, obviously, there's a, you you can write it down in, you know, glorified prose, but there's something about the person, as you say, who suffered in order to do it, who has lived this life and has been most or to to get there. And they are the ones that many times are, uh, you know, are, are taken by this, you know, whether it's Bagan or others or Kahana or even anyone, you, you can see that these are people who, are, who, who, who gave up so much. And therefore, when they finally were able to uh, be Megashim, their, 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 their chazion, to be able to be in Eretz Yisrael, oh, they push for, they're, they're even stronger. They're, they don't have the atishut, uh that you sometimes see, which, which unfortunately is part of the human condition that people who okay. are...
1: Again, I will I will go in the Derech of Abba and and try to look at everyone and I see that there, you can be born here, you can grow up, of course, as we say with the kapit of Mishnah, and the kapit of Maharal, in your in your in your mouth, and you still uh, you know you're you're born without the golden spoon, you're born with a spoon of Eretz Yisrael, of Kedusha, and uh, you're enthusiastic and the. Uh, I it's I understand what you're saying. I mean, I chose to come. It's like asking, is it better to be, how do you call it in the in the states, FFB, right, from from France, birth, it's a bit, it's or a about true? What's better? Because you chose to be religious, or you grew up religious. Each I'm, one I'm, has its own. Right. It's it's really not the enthusiasm
0: in terms of shmiras mitzvot as much as it is to make change, to make sure something happens, to not, you know, to 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 say, yes, we're going to go out there. We're going, like the Hesnachlium the after, was there a certain tuna, the idea of that we're going to, to, we're not going to give in. This is Eretz Yisrael. This is the Gush movement, in fact, I'm saying.
1: I think it was more people that were were born in Israel Certainly today, to people that are born in Israel. I mean, you can be a firebrand like the the new finance minister, Batsalov Smotrich. You don't have to be born in Chicago in order to be a oh, firebrand. Oh yes, yeah, I agree. Be dedicated, Rabbi. And, thank, you. Yeah.
0: Shikoyev, thank you so much for. I, I know everybody uh, appreciated um, your time, and uh, the presentation was warm and incisive and uh, stimulating. And uh, I encourage, I guess, all our listeners uh, to take advantage in, of Rav Druckman's Uh You can actually, if you go, if you uh, click on the hyperlink where it says "Shar Svarav" on the invitation, it'll take you to the site that uh, Rabbi um, Ben Meir uh, alerted me to, where you'll be able to see the wide range of his svarim and uh, his makshaba. So, thank you again. Uh, um, it,